0: Our reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. since he, he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part but just as you excel in everything in faith in speech in knowledge in complete earnestness and in your love for us see that you also excel in this grace of giving i am not commanding you but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but then that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality, as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Speak to God. Thank you, Rachel. Good morning to you all. Shall we just pray for a moment? Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, as we Look to delve deeper into it this morning. I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, we would learn more of you this morning. Learn more of your love for us. Amen. Amen. So we're continuing our um, series in 2 Corinthians this morning. And we're spending some time looking at the poverty and the generosity exemplified by the Macedonian church Now, you'll notice the the title was Extreme Poverty. I took the liberty and prerogative of changing that and just called it Poverty and Generosity because I've read read this passage. It seemed that the two were linked. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church about an offering that they promised to support the church in Jerusalem. But they were now having second thoughts about it. Now, at this time, the believers in Jerusalem were going through a pretty hard time. They were... uh, They've been cut off from the support that they got from the the, uh, Jewish temple for sort of widows and orphans and so on, and they were supporting the widows and orphans within their fellowship themselves and really struggling. So they're therefore in desperate need of support from the other Christian churches. So Paul's using here the example of the Macedonian church to encourage the church at Corinth to follow in their example of lavish generosity. Now, there's a famous quote that uh, goes like this. We don't like talking about money in this church, and we really don't like it when the vicar talks about money. So maybe that's why they've got the warden to do it this morning. But please hear me when I say that this talk is by no means intended to be a talk just about giving money to the church. That's the background to this passage, yes, but my intention is that that, that what we do this morning will encourage us in our generosity, in the widest sense of the word, a generosity that is formed through our love for God, and it's a generosity that becomes part of our DNA as Christians. So don't worry, unlike the email I received yesterday uh, begging me for money so that I could get hold of someone's massive inheritance, I'm not going to ask you for any money this morning, so you can relax. Relax. But as we look at this generosity from, of the Macedonian church, as Paul describes it, we can clearly see four truths. Generosity makes you a conduit of God's grace. Secondly, generosity is defined by lack rather than abundance. Thirdly, generosity is a decision. And fourthly, generosity is not law. So let's begin to sort of unpack those. The first one, generosity makes you a conduit of God's grace. Every act of generosity begins and ends with God's grace. Grace is a power that is generated in the heart of God and can only be sourced from God. So can you move on one more? Sorry. That's it. So, verse 1 tells us that generosity begins in grace. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know, is what verse 1 says, about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Grace is a gift from God, it is the root of everything we are as Christians. And generosity, in in this passage we looked at, also ends in grace. Verse 7 says this But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. When we act in generosity, we're allowing God's grace to pass through us as we dispense that grace to one another. So the end product of generosity is grace. Generosity, if you like, is bookended by grace. And John Packer describes verse 9, as the greatest single verse upholding the meaning of the Incarnation. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That is what Jesus has done for us. He demonstrated his love for us by giving all of himself. Through that grace, we can enter into the richness of that gift. And so we're therefore free to give of ourselves because we have the ultimate security of knowing his love. In truth, the invitation to generosity is an invitation to share in a cause and to participate in the outpouring of God's grace in our lives and in the life of our church. The gracious gift of the Macedonians and our own giving are a work of God's grace given substance in our financial giving. And that's the reason, I think, why Rowan Williams, the former archbishop, said, points out the limitations of giving back to God as a description of giving. It's got a biblical basis in the well-known prayer of David in Chronicles. All things come from you, and of our own do we give you. And they're words we say, particularly quite often, particularly at nine o'clock. And it's fine as far as it goes, but giving is about much more than simply giving something back to God, calculating what amount or even percentage is acceptable. Giving is about being caught up in the flow of God's gracious giving, being caught up in that grace. And Rome Williams continues, the sacrificial giving of the Macedonians is in the nature of a sacrament. It's something that speaks in outward form of an inner grace. Paul doesn't want the Corinthians to match the Macedonians, pound for pound. But he wants to let grace flow through them and to share in its generosity. To have grace running through our lives like a thread is the way we as Christians are designed. Grace doesn't travel alone, though Paul describes how the Macedonians, in the midst of that very severe trial, describes their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, welling up in rich generosity. God's grace it can be like a storm that overwhelms with the other fruits of the Spirit, with love, with joy, with peace. And so on. So if the first truth is about generosity making you a conduit of God's grace, the second is this. Generosity is defined by lack rather than abundance. And I'll just mention it. One of the key phrases in this passage, I think, is that Paul wants the Corinthian church and us to understand is the Macedonians' extreme poverty welling up in rich generosity. And as I said, I don't want this sermon to be particularly about money, although it's intrinsic to what Paul is talking about, but it's about generosity of spirit, generosity of heart, as well as generosity of finances. I was at a meeting last week with, uh, on discerning vocation in the church with the Bishop of Shrewsbury, and David Newsom, who's the uh, Diocesan Director of Ordinance, uh, was describing a time in South Africa where he'd been shadowing a nurse working with some of the very poorest in that society. And they visited this two-room house, or as David described it, more like a hut. In one room was an old woman who was curled up, very weak, and that's the person the nurse was going there to tend to. In the other was a bare table, some basic utensils and a bowl of overripe bananas. And after the nurse had completed her duties, they, they went to left leave. And then David told us how they went away to the shops and, and bought a small bag of groceries to take back. On their return, there was a young girl in the hut as well, 12 or 13 years old. And it became obvious that this old woman wasn't old at all. She was the mother of this girl, but who. Poverty and everything had made her become much older than her years. And they gave this girl the the very small bag of shopping. And the young girl was insistent on giving them back the bowl of overripe bananas. All they had in in that hut. Out of her, her extreme poverty, welled up generosity. This reversal of human values is amazing. It hardly makes sense but so often an awareness of our own poverty makes us much more conscious about the needs of others. And here we see in this passage the Macedonians begging for the privilege of giving. Sometimes this happens with us and God gives us the grace to respond to a human emergency or humanitarian disaster. Yet all too often we only give what we think we can spare. And also too often giving giving is a duty rather than a privilege. The Macedonians, Paul says, gave beyond their means. Their values have been overturned as they longed to share with others. And in Mark's Gospel we all know the the story of Jesus and, and his disciples witnessing the crowd putting money into the temple treasury. He saw the rich throwing in large amounts, and then a poor widow comes by and puts in two very small copper coins, just a few pence. And Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Generosity is defined by poverty rather than wealth. Generosity is rooted in sacrifice you just watch this short video thanks sarah Generosity is defined by poverty rather than wealth. The quote at the end of that was from Winston Churchill. You make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. And it's interesting to note that uh, the person that put that video on YouTube said that uh, he didn't edit anything out of that. That was the first homeless man they gave, gave pizza to. And he was the one that gave to the guy that was obviously pretending to be hungry, to prove that point. Generosity is defined by poverty rather than wealth. The third aspect of generosity that we see in this passage is that generosity is a decision. The Macedonians made a decision to give. Paul says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their capability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Completely on their own volition, they gave. But they supernaturally gave more than they, they were able. We saw in that video clip that, and we've already learned this morning, sometimes those who have less give more. Generosity is not limited by what we currently possess. And there are some statistics around charitable giving in the United States, not based in any church, these are just national statistics. And it was taxpayers with income between $35,000 and $40,000 typically give 5% of their income to charitable contributions. Taxpayers with incomes between $200,000 and $500,000 give less than 2.5% of their income in charitable contributions. Martin Luther said this We need three conversions of the heart, when we know God loves us, of the mind, as we learn to think as Christian people, and of the purse. The first two are deliberate decisions that we make to follow Christ and to grow more like Him. It follows, therefore, that we need to make that deliberate decision to be generous. And Martin Luther goes on to comment. It's if our faith has not penetrated our purse or our wallets, then it's likely that it's not adequately penetrated either our hearts or our minds. And finally, we see that generosity is not law. In verse 8, Paul is not prepared to command the Corinthians, but he is prepared to challenge them. He says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. It's important to note when looking at this passage that Paul had fallen out with the Corinthians and they'd patched up their friendship. So why does Paul risk disturbing the peace again by talking about money? Because what we do with our money says a lot about our hearts. Had Paul tried to command a response, he would probably have trampled on the tender relationships between him and the Corinthians but it's in the very nature of the grace that Paul is emphasizing that it would be a complete about-turn to then start laying down some law about giving. Their giving has to be voluntary. But interestingly, Paul considers a little bit of peer pressure quite legitimate. He doesn't say to them that it's simply up to them to decide how much to give. He challenges them to demonstrate the love they claim to have. And are we too timid sometimes in challenging one another to demonstrate our love through our generosity. As I read the New Testament, it's clearly freedom that reigns. There's no requirement or law to be generous. And if generosity were to be required, it would lose its ability inherently to be generous. Paul is quite clear about one thing. What we do or do not do with our money is a test of the reality of our faith, of our commitment, and of our experience of grace. Generosity and giving can be seen as a litmus test of our faith. If we're going to put all this into practice, we're going to need to, need to develop a lifestyle of generosity. To live gener- generously is to use your God-given ability to help those in need. It's bringing your time, money and talents together to meet the needs of others. And it's about practising generosity all year long, long. not just at Christmas or when there's a crisis or just in church. And as we move on to the next chapter uh, in this series next week, we'll spend more time looking at the lavish generosity as Paul develops these themes further. So what should we take away from this passage this morning? Our example should be the Macedonians, who gave of themselves despite their extreme poverty, who gave because of their abundant joy, who gave voluntarily according to their means and even beyond their means. This week, where are we going to make a decision to be generous? Where are we going to allow God's grace to work through us in our generosity? How are we going to allow God to work through our poverty? Amen.